good time. For a good time. For a good time. For a good time. Dragonflies, spinning cameras, and horse fucking. Welcome to For a Good Time. I'm Isabel Arf. Who are you, Juan? I'm Juan Barkeen. And today, we uh, we changed up a little bit and we watched two different films. Uh, the first one was Tattoo by uh, C. Michael McCullough, maybe better known as Michael Zen, the director of Falconhead um, from 1974, and also Ink Addiction by Erica Lust, released in 2020, so uh, fresh off the presses. And, yeah, we, we threw these together because they are part of the same theme, which is tattoos and how they relate to sexuality. And I feel like I always start this off by saying, why, what did you think? Or, like, why did you choose this? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, what did you think of Ink Addiction? I, you've already told me, but uh, why don't you tell the audience? I mean, I, I watched a Tattoo for the first time a little while ago and or a few months ago, right around when the pandemic started. And uh, I just decided to do like a live stream of random pornography because why not? And was that the first time you saw it, too? Yeah, it was. Because that was also the first time I saw it. Yeah. I And I, I loved it from the get go. But yeah, then it's excellent. Today, while uh, watching uh, Erica Lust's movie, I was really floored by how gorgeous it was like it sincerely trumped it for me in a lot of ways <laughs> which i wasn't expecting at all yeah i um i'm honest i picked ink addiction uh kind of like the first film we ever had in the podcast just sight unseen because i saw some of the screen shots of it and the screen caps i was like oh okay this is this is going to be a thing that would be perfect for the podcast and i watched just enough to see the camera movement and to see how things were set up uh in the music that was being used and I was like, yes, we'll just go for it. And you suggested, hey, we can do that with Tattoo at the same time. And look at that. We've got a whole theme and a thesis for the episode. I know. What a perfect double feature. I'm so proud of us. What a perfect double feature. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was also pretty floored by Ink Addiction. Uh, before we get too far in, at the beginning of this podcast, when it started out, we did say that we were going to uh, mention if there was any potential controversy or problematic aspects of any of the creators or performers. So I just wanted to mention um, that in uh, 2018, a performer named Rooster claimed they had their sexual boundaries pushed by a director on set of a film being made by Erica Lust Studio. Um, Erica Lust disputed the claims and then later came out with the Guest Director's Guide to Working with Performers and a Performer's Bill of Rights uh, later that year to address the concerns. So it wasn't directly related to her direction, but it was under her studio's watch. So just something to, I feel like I would have felt wrong if we didn't say that. Yeah, I think it's fair to point out any kind of controversy like that. Um, but uh, Ink Addiction is the first one of her films I've seen, and I definitely want to watch way more. I, I genuinely loved it. It yeah, was same. gorgeous, like you said. Uh, the way it was shot was really interesting. I will say a little bit too much spinning camera at a certain point. I was like, okay, let's go to the next thing. I got you. It's cool. Like there were two things about it that I thought at first I was really, really interested in it. And then eventually like once it petered out, I was like, okay, great. Good job. We found a better way of doing things. And it was both the spinning camera and the sort of like almost commercially music <laughs> that they use at the beginning of it which i think like at first i was really like swept 
up by it because you do kind of just get like swept into this sort of like rotating camera and these like grand exaggerated movements of the camera showing these really really beautiful bodies that are like completely tattooed from head to toe except for like tiny spots where they aren't that almost emphasize just how gorgeous the tattoo work is on the rest of their body and it's like watching them all mix together in like like just like this wonderfully orgasmic collection of bodies melting together while the sound like while the camera's rotating and while this really heightened music is playing is really really beautiful but then once the music disappears and it just turns into this like silence and collection of like really intimate sounds i found it so much more erotic and so much more exciting to watch yeah, but I, th- I don't think it could have been that the whole time. Uh, no, it would course. have been a little bit much. Uh, but I feel like we should actually say what these movies are for people oh, who yeah, aren't aware it. of them. So <laughs> Tattoo is essentially a series of men who are getting tattooed and talking about their sexual fantasies while it's happening. Uh, directed by, uh, like we said, C. Michael McCullough or Michael Zen. Is that right? Yes. Who is famously directed the very good gay porno Falconhead, which when you brought up to possibly watch again for the podcast, I was very much like, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) But uh, the copy of Tattoo you gave me was stapled at the end of that. And watching the last little bit of Falconhead, I was like, okay, I could definitely watch this again. Wonderful film. It's so delightful. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Tattoo is really just talking about these men who are never explicitly like said hey this person is gay but it's clearly like a like gay fantasies and a uh, gay culture whereas ink addiction uh is kind of bookended by shots of one of the performers getting a real tattoo like an actual tattoo at the time of a dragonfly and in the middle there is essentially two sections there's one that's almost like an interpretive dance moving into a the beginning of the sex scene and then there's the actual full-on sex scene for the rest of it. And at the end, it ends with the tattoo again. But there's so many different things I have to say about this <laughs> about these films. So what I really found interesting about both Tattoo and Ink Addiction is the ways they are both expressing a similar idea, but from very different standpoints and very different times in the culture. What I mean by that is Tattoo, a lot of the things that the men are getting tattooed are very explicitly masculine and affirming a masculine identity and affirming a cultural idea of masculinity even when they are related to queerness of some kind there is still an affirmation of that and it's in a way to be overly reductive it almost seems like they're using their tattoos both as a way of self-expression but also as a way to like reify and reinforce the the things that they've been told or the the forms that they have learned to take whereas an ink addiction to me like stepped up a little further in time and a lot of times like it seems their tattooing is more of a an expression almost in the very literal sense where it's like like squeezing something out of them like pushing something out of them that wasn't visible beforehand and they're making new things visible that weren't previously there and becoming more of themselves through that uh, in the same way that i think a lot of body modification does. And I think that's my broader point in general is what I'm really interested in both films and what interests me in body modification in general is A, why people do it, but B, why society fetishizes it. And I think it comes from a similar place, which is that people do it because it allows them to take ownership of their body and allows them to 
treat their body as something, not just an art piece. Uh, like one of the really beautiful moments in Tattoo uh, is when one of the men says that tattoos, when they age, it's almost like a painting's varnish, like how it gets, how mm-hmm. it changes over time. But it's it's not just like a an art piece. It's also the the conscious uh, or the consciousness, like the, this this kind of abstract upper formless sense that is being outwardly expressed onto them like the the mind body connection not to be like a fucking new age hippie or whatever <laughs> but but like an embodiment of her conscious state uh and i think those same reasons are why it becomes a fetish for many people i think both for people with tattoos and without tattoos i think for people with tattoos it's because they see someone similar to them and they can relate to that whereas with people without tattoos i think it is it's seeing someone who is who lives in the same society as them, but he was taking ownership of their body in a way that maybe the person who's viewing them hasn't. And I think most of body modification is that, at least in its positive sense can be. That's one of the reasons why I've always related to that as a trans person is that I don't view the body as like a sacred thing. I view it as something that like you can change and you can adjust depending on what you want. And your body does not exist as like this other thing or this other thing owned by society as a whole and the culture, your body is something that you can control and can make whatever you desire it to be. And it is not inherently perfect form when it first starts out and you can make it anything. And I think that is why in many ways it's still kind of taboo and like only bad girls have tattoos, quote unquote. It's because, (laughs) well, it's because it's women taking ownership of their body, which society says you can't do. Yeah, I said a lot of stuff. Do you have any like thoughts on any of that? Because I could keep going, but... Well, just to like jump on what you're saying, I think there's something, and I mean, obviously, like not every person who gets a tattoo is queer, but like there is something inherently queer about like body modifications and tattooing. You're, you're and not wrong. Of, it's just a very you take. And I, like I know it. it is a very me take. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just this concept of, like you were saying, existing within a society without adapting to what that society tells you is the norm i think is to some extent queer i mean like for me as someone who has like no body modification whatsoever and like has was planning on getting a tattoo earlier this year but that didn't work out because you know pandemic um Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um (laughs) i've always 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 been fascinated by other people who like can do that and i mean like just as you were saying just like people who sort of like i wouldn't say i fetishize it but i do to some extent find that find tattoos extremely extremely attractive even when they're objectively the tackiest things i've ever seen like there's another (laughs) film that i'm sure we'll cover at some point in this podcast called dry wind that i saw from this year and the amount of like gay men with these like grotesquely awful tattoos <laughs> were just like all over the film but at the same time it's like oh you know what like there is something just truly attractive to me that like someone would go out of their way to like live their lives with that <laughs> on their body for the rest of their <laughs> lives and like prominently showcase it like it translate to a level of confidence even when the person isn't necessarily that confident but there is something i mean like it's like not to say like confidence is sexy but like there is something about like someone truly embracing their body whatever like perceived flaws 
they have or like they believe they have, it's hot. It's hot to see someone like feeling themselves. <laughs> like even you, I mean, you mentioned like a lot of the tattoos are sort of like emphasizing masculinity. And I mean, 100%, you would, if anyone ever said, you know, I got a tattoo of like flames that look like a decal from the side of like a car. <laughs> You'd be like, okay, that's, fuck them. that's stupid as shit, but like, you know, sure, <laughs> go off, like, live your best life. And then if they add on top, like, you would think immediately, like, oh, that's a straight man. But then to have a close-up of, like, a spread ass with those same exact, <laughs> like, fire decals <laughs> surrounding the asshole, it's like, oh, yeah, this is just, like, gay men emphasizing masculine attributes which like in the 1970s 1980s was like the thing to be when you're gay is like hyper masculine and it's i mean it's like appropriating those uh traditionally masculine features into a situation which society would consider unmasculine in many ways like like kenneth anger i'm sure we'll talk about kenneth anger at some point 100 but like the whole like leather jacket like the leather daddy thing is so much of that it's like parodying traditionally masculine clothing um which is fascinating and i think that it's one of the reasons that a i really like tattoo but i also think that a lot of discussions of masculinity or femininity and other things like that in that in culture get so blurry and more complicated and can be reduced far too much when we're talking about queer culture mm-hmm. because if, if you're a gay man who is emphasizing traditionally masculine features that is not the same thing as a straight man doing that. In fact, it is a it is a countercultural move to say like, yes, I'm a gay man, but like, I'm not going to be the person you think I am. I'm going to emphasize the other things that I want to emphasize and be this other thing that I want to be, and in many ways, be even more intimidating and even more traditionally off-putting in certain ways. Well, it's interesting because that kind of like weaponization of masculinity works sometimes, but then you also have the people who have to or the people within, like, gay culture who try to, instead of emphasizing those things, kind of try to blend in as much as physically possible with mm-hmm. straight culture, which I find, like, I don't want to say, like, I find that deeply annoying, because, you know, like, to each their own, but it's like, you end up with Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> well, either that, or it's, or it's like, mask for mask, no fatties culture. Yeah, Exactly. It's simultaneously like fascinating, but also deeply depressing. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like part of the normalization of like gayness in society is that 100%. obviously once a lot of people see the opening, especially like a lot of white dudes, uh, mm-hmm. white cis dudes, especially when they see the opening, like, oh shit, I can just have all my privilege back if I just pretend that, or, or, if, or if I just not even pretend, but if I just act in a way that is something that that straight people will be okay with. Yeah. I can get all those advantages without having to like deal with the fact that a lot of people who would be part of my community or who I should be caring for don't have those same advantages. Absolutely. But yeah, especially like when you're talking about the time period of tattoo when homosexuality was still illegal in large parts of the world, in large parts of just America, not even the world. Um, Sodomy was still legal, I believe, at that time in almost the entire country, if not the entire country. I'd have to look up like a timeline of (laughs) anti-sodomy laws. But still, like the point you get the point that I'm saying is it was a far more transgressive thing to be at that time. And emphasizing masculinity in that way is a way another way to be transgressive. And 
I, I mentioned the, the guy that I really like in Tattoo, which is this guy who he mentions that he tries to pursue all of his fantasies. And when he's getting the tattoo, he says this tattoo is like, like getting this, t- getting this tattoo is one of my fantasies. And it's a horse, like, like breathing or a black stallion <laughs> breathing fire. And he's like, I always wanted to fuck a horse, basically. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm reducing it greatly. He says it much more eloquently. I will he say. does. It's a very beautiful, like poetic passage about his fantasies about like power and like the feeling of being a stallion, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's he wants to fuck a horse. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but it goes along with that when I mentioned like the literalization uh, and the, the embodiment of like internal processes into the external, where like by getting that tattoo, he's essentially is almost living that fantasy, mm-hmm. which is fascinating and such a cool thing that art and externalization of those kinds can do. Which is like one of the things that uh, at a certain point, we are definitely going to talk about uh, the thing, because I think the thing is actually just a fucking porno. <laughs> um, I think like most body horror is that because essentially body horror is about the body becoming untethered from societal ideas of normal, uh, which is the same thing that body modification is just in a far less extreme way. And I think that body modification and the, the loosening of the body from traditional cultural constraints has similar scary and freeing effects at the same time. Like like there's moments of ink addiction that I don't think consciously, but unconsciously almost approach that. Especially there's one shot that I loved where it's one that moves to the handheld camera. She's panning just like, or, or just like moving across their backs as they all move together. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's no space between them. So it just looks like this like writhing mass of flesh uh, like almost a landscape of people. And I love that image both because it is so sexy and erotic, but it's also kind of frightening in a way. Well, yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think both films kind of embrace that sort of like gray space between porn and body horror in very distinct ways. Like I think Ink Addiction doesn't really emphasize the... I guess, almost process of tattooing as much as Tattoo does. Whereas, yes. like, Tattoo, it's like Michael Zen basically just kind of, like, treats the like the tattoo pen as a phallus, just quite literally, <laughs> like, in and out, drilling one I mean, constantly. Yeah, it's, it's penetrating your skin. Yeah. And it's, like, some of the images he uses are really, while they are, like, seductive and intoxicating, are kind of really aggressive and horrifying. And it ties into the way he kind of approaches, I would say, more Falconhead 2 than Falconhead. And it's very, like, almost Clive Barker adjacent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Def- I mean, that, that's a lot of queer erotica. Like, Clive yeah. Barker, which I'm sure we'll also talk about at some point, because I fucking love Clive Barker. And I, I love mean, the fact that, that he's he's completely unashamed to, like, be depraved and to, like... I, I will hear queer people. I think this is the dumbest take in the world, but of course... This is our podcast, so we need to bring up the dumbest queer takes we've ever heard. <laughs> Which um, one today? <laughs> I, mean, I, I have I have seen and heard people say like, oh, like Hellraiser and other things like that by Clyde Barker are just reinforcing this idea that like gay people are inherently perverts. And it's like, no, that's not what he's doing. No, that's so he's, fucking stupid. But <laughs> yeah, it's so stupid because like like playing in in a limit experience like that, which I think is the. Uh, it's not Baudrillard. Who was it? Eh, it was someone. 
Um, someone, someone, this is a phrase by someone, uh, the limit experiences, like those edge of experience experiences. Mm-hmm. By playing in those spaces, he's able to to emphasize the way that those things are present everywhere. Like when you talk about, like tattoo is, like like you said, aggressive and sensual at the same time, but it also feels very, like the way that it's shot, a lot of it's shot in relatively low light as well. It feels intimidating and it feels mm-hmm. a little bit scary, but in a good way, the way that a lot of other sexual acts can be scary and the different ways that by decoupling sex from procreation, queer life and therefore the porn that comes from it is able to find new kinds of sex and new things that are sexy instead of it being like, well, penetration is a penis going into one of three holes. That's what you got. It's like, well, penetration can be anything and mm-hmm. anything can be sex if you approach it from a certain angle and a certain perspective, uh, which like we are going to talk about a d- different film at a certain point where I will get far more into this. But just recently, I have developed a very big interest in needles and something I'm working on a lot. And I finally got to ne- to do it on someone else for the first time after I practiced on myself a bunch. And it feels kind of like fucking someone because you're like literally putting something into their skin. And that's a body horror thing as well, like like the violation of that barrier. But it's also incredibly intimate in that way. Tattoo does the same thing where by watching the the tattoo gun go in and out and seeing kind of the ink pool around it, you are very much confronted with the fact that this is an intimate experience and this is very highly sexualized. The way that ink addiction begins is with like a title card um, by someone called Obsessed with Ink. No idea who that is. Where the, there, there's a quote from them and it says, getting tattoos has become a source of pleasure to me. My body is my own personal canvas. I find it so arousing to be part of this process of trust and creation with the artist. Um, I have a desire to connect with other bodies, other canvases, to feel our skin touching and our art blending. And I think that process of trust and creation, it's a little bit in Ink Addiction, but that's such the emphasis of Tattoo. Yeah, I would agree. And I think like one last thing on Tattoo before I just dive into Ink Addiction, because I did find it such a really different fascinating thing, is just... As harsh as a lot of it seems, it's also just a really sincere portrait of sensitive masculinity at some points, and like the journeys that brought these men to wanting to get tattoos. And the one that really stands out to me is the story of the man who like went to, I think it was like a, not like a carnival or anything, but like, yes, I think yes. the, yeah. Um, I, I love it, this like, part. Barnum and Bailey or... I don't I don't think remember. It's, like, it's like somewhere that has like what you would traditionally call a freak show, maybe. Yeah. And he sees this tattooed woman and finds himself like completely and utterly fascinated and intoxicated by her. I, If I'm remembering correctly, I believe she like picks him up and he sits on her lap. And at that moment, yes. he decided, oh, if I want to be something to this tattoo woman, like she is to me, then I have to become a tattooed man. Oh, like, that's so touching. And like, such a like, it's one of those moments when like, when we talk about like queer representation, in any capacity, it's like those images that we see that are so formative to us as kids that aren't necessarily like, you know, telling us like, hey, it's okay to be gay, it's okay to be this, blah, 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 blah. It is something that completely changes your perspective of what it means to be you. And I think that's so, so fascinating to hear someone, like, presumably, like, a gay man, have that be, 
like the moment that that switch flipped for him yeah the phrase he uses that i wrote down because i love so much he says he was saved by the tattooed lady yeah which is such such a beautiful thing to hear like going into the like the larger thing we've been talking about like he's he's essentially saved by this expression of otherness and this expression of difference and viewing himself in that and real uh realizing he he can become that and be that to other people and we talked about this a couple episodes ago as well, but a lot of when we talk about representation, like what it means and like how it's used, a lot of the idea that the only good representation is explicit representation misses is that it's all subtextual and the subtext can sometimes be just as powerful as the other things. Yeah. And I mean, it's the same thing for like whenever I think back on, I mean, like this year has been like my journey of like <laughs> the non-binary journey. And it just is like one of those things where you start like thinking back to all of the little things throughout your childhood and history that have made a deep impact on you. And the one that I always, always will come back to is Rebecca Romaine as Mystique is like flat out. And then like, obviously, like from there, I start jumping into every single shape shifting kind of thing. And this idea of like being able to change your presentation in any single way you desire at any given moment of time and it's just like oh that's a really powerful image and it's like oh yeah oh is that being trans like i don't (laughs) how fun and i think like (laughs) i wish that those movies weren't associated with such a piece of shit because like there are such good use of queer themes because obviously there's like explicit ones in there um or relatively explicit ones that everyone picks up on but like the mystique stuff is so is so fascinating because she pretty freely goes between like anybody. Like there is no boundaries on who she can be. And that is, I mean, I mean, honestly like a pretty revolutionary statement to just throw into a superhero movie. Absolutely. And I think something that I find really fascinating about ink addiction, just to like tie it back in is just, I have never seen performers looking so, so comfortable in their bodies and with each other and with like, it was it was honestly really impressive to me because it felt very very it didn't feel as staged as i was expecting from its like introductory dance sequence and stuff once the sex scene started it was so 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 intimate and so playful and it's just in those little gestures like like there's just one scene that anytime this happens in like a like a porn film I'm always just overjoyed because I'm like oh yeah that's what it's actually like it's just uh one of the performers is eating another performer out and they just like they stop for a minute they look up and they like start trying to get something out of their mouth and it's like oh they got a hair stuck in their mouth mm-hmm. and everyone's sort of like laughing about it but it's not taking away from the fact that they're fucking they're having a good time this is a pleasurable situation all of these sensations are heightened because of the fact that they are comfortable with each other enough to be able to stop and be like, okay, I need to pull a hair out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah uh, let, let's keep going. <laughs> I, I wrote that exact same thing down because so much of porn is like dead set on being serious and sexy the entire time that it doesn't, especially like mainstream porn, that it yeah. completely ignores the fact that actual sex isn't isn't this thing where you put on like your serious hat and like you can't laugh or you can't make a joke or you can't like readjust in an awkward way because you were sitting on your hand or something like that. 
Like that's just part of actual sex. And I agree so much of ink addiction really did feel, I mean, for lack of a better word, real. We talked about um, a couple episodes ago, uh, the Belladonna Sasha Gray flick. And we talked about the line between real and fake there. Whereas this one, obviously there's an artificiality during the dance sequence. Sure. During the actual like, like fucking part of it, it genuinely, like you said, feels so natural and feels like actual sex. Which is so much uh, genuinely hotter. <laughs> like, yeah, I really it found it like a very erotic film during those parts, uh, because of the fact that they were so comfortable and it was okay to make a mistake and it was okay to laugh at something like that or to g- get a genuine smile that didn't seem forced or didn't seem like oh I'm smiling to be sexy. It didn't feel like it was posed as much as it was performed. Yeah, and I think that like that also goes into the way that all three of the performers seemed very comfortable moving between each other because on a lot of threesomes that I've seen in the past you kind of get the idea that one person doesn't necessarily fit in as much as the rest or there is a prioritizing of one performer over the other and I think something that I found really interesting was all three of them seemed very very genuinely interested in pleasing the other three you move from like you know like eating out a vagina to like performers like just like licking up and down the shaft of another performer and i think that's so like just there is a real sexual fluidity there that it didn't necessarily matter to me like you know i was never thinking like oh are these people like you know, doing, like, gay for pay, are these people, like, queer, are these people straight, blah, 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 blah. It never took me out of the scene, ever. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, they they feel, like you said, there's that naturalness, and there's that sense of general mutual attraction, and general mutual, maybe even more important, willingness to interact. Because that is the difficult thing in so much of, like, threesome or, or, like, larger scenes in a lot of pornography, is there's always that point where one person clearly doesn't necessarily want to touch the other person as much as they want to touch some other person. Mm-hmm. And it makes it a little awkward and a little strange. Whereas in the good threesomes I've had, I've definitely had threesomes like that. I don't think that's unusual. Although I yeah. also wouldn't record them for that reason. <laughs> like I, that's, <laughs> They're not very fun. But exactly. in, in ones that have gone well, like I mentioned that like, when you say both of them like licking up the shaft of the one performer's uh, dick, was it, it reminded me exactly of how I've done that with another girl when we were both fucking a different girl. Yeah, I've definitely had that same exact experience yeah. with two men. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I think it goes along with, uh, there's two other ways that you get that naturalness and that naturalisticness. One is from the fact that there's very minimal makeup. Obviously, there is some makeup because, like, that is how movies are made. But uh, it's not as heavy as you would usually expect in pornography. And the lights are the lights are very flattering, but they also, at certain angles, will catch body hair that you usually wouldn't see. Like, especially, like, the, the very light body hair maybe you have on your ass or on your arms. Uh, yes. Every time they did, like, a side shot of the performer with a penis, I was yes. like... It's like this like very, very light brown, almost blonde hair covering just like glazed over the tattoos. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's really, really arousing. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very physical. It's, it's like very tactile. Like you can imagine yeah. running your hand across that. 
Exactly. Um, this is a different thing, and it's interestingly is an artificial construct that makes it feel more real to me, which is the way the cuts are used. It doesn't feel like they're stuck on an exact temporal sequence. Whereas mm-hmm. like a lot of like mainstream porn, even something we looked at like uh like Belladonna and uh, Sasha Gray where I did say that the cutting was choppier than it usually is in the rest of the film. There's still clearly like a, hey, here's what we did this time, and here's every act in between. We're not going to leave anything out. Whereas this film, it uses its cuts to elide time and to elide exact sequence of events. Like You don't need to show everyone moving into the right position or everyone doing X, Y, and Z, because that's not the way you remember sex happening. You remember moments, and you remember uh, feelings and sensations and visual things and sounds and smells and the way that it cut and the way that the camera was relatively fluid and allowed those cuts to happen i think is one of the big things that i wish more modern photography would take from where like you can't do that with like a gonzo style shooting thing like without it feeling very jarring that almost feels like a jump cut whereas in this film it felt much more natural and much more uh filmic not to be like yeah, well it's, too almost, blunt about it's it. almost dreamy is what it really is yeah third i mean it's interesting to look at like tattoo and ink addiction like two different types of dreams yes 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 so here's a really weird reference but <laughs> <laughs> we love a weird reference when i was watching tattoo one of the, one of the few notes we didn't get to is i wrote down that this music sounds like it all could have been made by uh this heat which um are you familiar with with this heat i'm not they were a very, very influential experimental rock band from England in like the late 70s and early 80s. Their most famous album is called Deceit, and it actually opens with a track called Sleep, which the main lyrics are go to sleep. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like like connections, like, oh, it's like it feels like a dream state. And a lot of this heat's music is very free associative in that same way. And fuck, these are both really good movies, one. <laughs> Yeah, they really are, honestly. And I hate that now at this point, anytime someone says go to sleep, I immediately associate it with Real Housewives, God which it. is entirely a problem for my fucked up brain. Um, <laughs> but yes, they are both really great films. And I'm actually incredibly excited to look up more of Erica Lust's direction because that was just like exquisite. Yeah, same. like even the dance sequences, it kind of—I don't want to say it reminded me of like uh, Vim Vendors's Pina, but like there is just like—I'm always really fascinated in movies that actually take an interest in how, like, the fluidity of people's bodies and their movement during dance, which I feel like too many dance movies don't actually pay enough attention to the way bodies move. Yeah, like even as someone like me who will defend cats to my dying breath. Uh, the the big problem with th- with that movie is that it cuts it too much. It yes, doesn't allow you to actually see how people are moving, which is what you want in a dance movie. Whereas especially when you have like a choreographer who knows what they're doing, but that's a yeah. we we're not going to get into cats right now because we could do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're saying is Incadiction is a lot like a Fred Astaire film. <laughs> yes let's 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 roll with that why not <laughs> um these are themes that we'll we'll bring up quite a few times especially like body modification is such a fascinating thing to me and it's something i i think about a lot it's like i have tattoos i have piercings i plan on getting a bunch more i love them and obviously like as a trans woman i'm constantly modifying my own body like i take pills every day to grow tits so 
it's just a very present thing on mind and i love the queerness of that and just the, the the mutability of the body and the way that the body can be treated as something besides a sacred space oh we should say um ink addiction is on erica Lust's website super easy to find tattoo is there like an easy way to get a hold of it for michael zent's tattoo it actually comes paired with the dvd for falcon head that you can get at bijouworld.com which sells all sorts of pornography in terms of like books dvds brochures like they're fucking treasure trails like i don't i'm shocked that someone just sells all that shit it owns yeah, and I'm pretty sure they're having a DVD sale that's like 30% off until January 31st of this year. So if you have a chance and you listen to this before then, go buy some porn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as far as where you can find us, uh, I am on my main Twitter at Space Jam Fan. Uh, my not safe for work Twitter is uh, Anion's Girl Dick. I had to think for a second there. As I said last time, my... Not Safe for Work Twitter is not really professional at all. It's really just naked pictures of me and me reblogging like latex photos. So if you're into that, go for it. Uh, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Space Jam Fan. And I think that's it. I have a Tumblr too, but I'm probably going to start watching Supernatural. So I don't want you to be on there because I'll be embarrassed. Um, <laughs> uh, Juan, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram at Whoa, it's Juanito, W-O-A-H. It's Juanito. Um, and you can find my writing at all sorts of places like Miami New Times and Hyperallergic and my lovely website that I run with uh, Derek Godon called DimTheHouseLights.com, uh, where Isabel also writes. Um, <laughs> wrote. I, I haven't written shit in a while. Yeah, none of us have written anything there in a while. But anyway, so um, and if you want nudes of me, you can just DM me because I have <laughs> no shame whatsoever. But I'm self-controlled i mean no there's no self-control i'll send you nudes i don't care <laughs> you're like peter gabriel um as <laughs> as far as the podcast you can follow us on twitter at i believe it's for a good time pod let me double check that one yes before. it is yep for a good time pod and we are also uh at for a good time pod at gmail.com feel free to send us anything you would like um we'll take it I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. Send us porn. Send us. Don't send us like nude pictures of yourself for no reason. But if you want, like, if you if you're a porn creator, hey, I'd, I'd, we'd love it. We'd love to feature you on the podcast. Absolutely. If, if you love to discuss. Good. Yes. So uh, next time, what are we watching? Um, I've decided that I want to very shamelessly go ahead and pick maybe my favorite porn film of all time. Score. Um, Yes, wow, that's offensive that you would say the title before me, but oh, yes. Oh shit, I can't believe I actually got it right. I, I was yeah, kind absolutely. of guessing, but also I know how much you love that film. And I have it on DVD, so. <laughs> yes, um, Radley Metzger's score. It'll be a fun one, I think. I have to remember to not call him Bradley, because who the fuck is named Radley? Like I know, only Radley Metzger. Unless your first name is Boo. Wow. Boo. Boo, Bradley. <laughs> That's what they said at the premiere of Score. <laughs> Except probably Jesus not. They were like, this is amazing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but, I'm canceling uh, our show. <laughs> but until next episode, this has been For a Good Time. Thanks for calling.